Welcome everyone to the International Artistic Development Podcast. I think we are now episode six and we have Emma Farkasen joining us today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So today we are talking on women in music. And I think before we get into uh, the nitty gritty and the very serious points, tell us a bit about yourself, Emma. Well, I am an opera singer and music educator. I am also a champion of female composers. Uh, so I'm really grateful to have been given the option and the opportunity to, to speak today um, about that, about women in music who are still, in my opinion, and in many others, underrepresented in particularly the classical music industry, both in compositional sense and in terms of being a director, being a conductor, even being a producer. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for joining us for that. Um, so you've, I mean, I've seen, I mean, on your website, it, it, it covers uh, quite an extensive amount of what you've been focused on. So it's actually really nice to have you on board, uh, realizing that you've, you've been in the field of exposing a lot of uh, females music during this time as well. All right. So I wanted to look at because we've both had experience in in this field, and I, we, I know it would be nice to, at some point, reach the stage where we can become uh, practitioners in this. But um, yeah, so I've used it. You've used it uh, with when it comes to posture. So I wanted to talk just in general about, um, and especially when working with with girls, um, posture as well as the use of Alexander technique. Yes, it's it can be such a, a problem, the, the almost frozen frozen body state um, that we that we have spoken about previously and coming across um, in our in our roles as, as educators and uh, in my role as, as a singing teacher, there seems to be a, a marked link, in our mind at least, between the reality of being a woman in South Africa and 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 the tension that is therefore produced in the body uh, that we bring into the classroom and we bring into the practice room. Yeah. So yeah. what would you say are the main things that you've encountered uh, physically with with posture? I know if, well, if I think about it from my side, let's let's see. Um, I think, um, yeah, th th there's very much a locked up state that yes. the frame tends to have around about where the shoulders are. Um, and there's a lot of tension kind of sitting uh, within the yes. shoulders, chest, neck, all, the, all that area that one has to deal with. Yes. And in my, in my experience, also quite a, a shallow breathe, a, a breathing um, action rather than a deeper embodied one. There seems to be a hesitancy to to take up space physically, but also to take take embodiment and and there seems to be also a fear of an embodied sound, a powerful sound, uh, when the girls attempt to 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 um, uh, project. There's the word. <laughs> Hit the hit a blank there. When they attempt to project, um, they don't do it naturally. 
it's it's quite forced and it's it's pushed it's pushed from the vocal the vocal apparatus rather than from being supported in the body and on the breath yes yes um i mean even even if i'm not looking at um really projecting but but getting a, a, a comfortable freer sound from my yes. students like dealing with choirs um it's it's actually very challenging especially when it comes to choir because i mean um with private students it's it's one thing because you're working one-on-one in lessons and you're with them for a long time but i mean if, if i look at something like midlands youth choir um even the camp that we have, I see, so we swap voice groups now. So I'm like with the sopranos for a certain period of time and there's music to cover. Then then I'm with the altos, then I'm with the tenors, then I'm with the basses. And it's difficult to get everyone to kind of free themselves up in order to really open up their sound. And I feel there's, there's yeah. so many contributing factors. Um, I mean, just in general, there's there's the idea that you know when you're at home, there's this there's this space that you kind of work with, and you've got to uh, accom- be accommodating for people that, that are there. And in a way, you train in all these little um, ha- bad habits where you lock yes, the sound of squashing in. the sound and containing the sound rather than letting it go, letting it be free. I have a little um, a little bird cage. Um, it's a wooden sign and it says sing as if no one can hear you and that's my motto when I send people off for practicing and um, particularly during the holidays because that's when it makes or breaks the muscle memory that we've developed during the term Um, because as you say people people are told shush I'm doing things downstairs you you this is this is our space and and music is a hobby and um your practice must be moderated and moderation does not a free voice make yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there was there was one point um and i think i wonder if this student will actually join just now so it's a past student of mine um and i remember at one point i spoke to her parents uh, because i i had told her that when she goes home she must um allocate time where uh, she can really really sing out practice her music not in a limited way and i spoke to the yeah. parents and i said listen this is this is the instruction i've given her please give her that space and time and freedom to actually do that because it is yes. very important for their development yeah. yes and when i first encounter new voices as a teacher and i keep drumming it into into them with my existing students I always remind them, remember, your body is the instrument. So many people think the voice starts and stops in in the throat, and it really doesn't. And it makes yeah. such a difference when people start engaging with the entirety of their body as an instrument because like pianists where the instrument is is under their fingers and like the violin where the instrument is made with the, the cavity inside the instrument and the strings, the voice is actually a lot deeper than than the throat. And so often I start my 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 practices with my students with a few physical warm-ups that are a combination of Reckles Hicks breathing, Alexander te- a little bit of Alexander technique um, from what from the brief the brief course that I did at at university. 
I was lucky enough to be mentored by Gwyneth Lloyd, who is a recognized Alexander Technique practitioner. And I actually purchased two of her books, uh, one of which spoke about the teaching method and how she's found as a an opera singer and a voice coach. She's found how methods of Alexander Technique improved things like imbalanced, inadequate breathing or, or a sort of warbling sound instead of a natural vibrato. It solved things like stiff jaw, poor posture and balance. It's semi-eradicated glottal shocks, a nasal timbre, poorly shaped vowels, poor pitch huskiness, and inadequate management of the registers. And even in incorrect voice classification. So I, I found in my own practice that it has certainly helped to improve my students' embodied sound and and learning where to breathe, where to feel that breath, how you know if you're breathing deep enough into the body and how to not run away from that when you find it because so many people say, oh, that was fun. I've tried this out. I've tapped into a little bit of power. Now I'm just going to go back to my old tricks. Yeah, and that's yeah. the biggest I find with teaching, teaching women. Um, they've been my primary my primary uh, gender in terms of, of, of education um, and also tr- trans trans women and and bisexual women so it's been it's been very interesting all right it's quite a nice amount of uh, Im- improvements that it has I know for me it's 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 also benefited in a sense that because I've, I've always looked at uh, the way around um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, tone deafness. Mm. Uh, because I, I remember as well at university, my piano teacher, the, one of her piano students was um, was tone deaf. So for oral, she suffered tremendously uh, with picking up certain things. And she actually worked through, uh, I think she got... What is it? I think she got special permission from the university to work with the student primarily on her own through through the oral aspect. And um, she managed to kind of get up to speed with that. And I found that Alexander Technique, when dealing with, with singers that have um, serious pitch problems, has actually fixed a lot of that. It's oh, all- massively. Yeah. I had the same experience. Yes, um, a student of mine at a school in town that I teach in, when I first joined that school, uh, she had serious pitching issues. And I found that using the the revving against the wall Alexander Technique exercise, where when we were singing an ascending line, an ascending vocal line, tricking tricking her body into thinking of the notes as going down instead of up, rooted the sound in her body and at the same time made her um, easier in in transitioning from with with challenging intervals because I think interval work is where where the pitching really shows itself um, the the strength or the weakness of it and now it's it's a different voice and she's is, is year two whereas it, at the beginning when I started with her I was wondering, is this ear going to improve? And and it did. And I do attribute that to Alexander Technique. And she, she uses it in her own practicing. Um, I see it because she just immediately 
knows exactly what to do. And when she's struggling with something, before I even tell her to do something, she's already doing the physical Alexander technique just to remind that muscle memory to to tap in. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, yeah. I've, I've always had, um, I've also felt that um, if I think back to one of my more recent students, um, she, yeah, she didn't, we kind of negated the whole experience of uh, performance anxiety as well. It, it helps so much with the performance anxiety. Um, because, I mean, there's, there's a mental aspect to Alexander Technique as well. I think a lot of people mm. uh, that are new to Alexander Technique don't actually realize that it's also the mind that plays a part in uh, the whole thing as well. Yes, and you have to speak to both both parts of that because my experience as a teacher is that there are some students who prefer metaphor and some people who prefer you to speak about technique physically. And Alexander Technique seems to cater to both of those. So it's a very good umbrella technique to use. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think let's dive into the more serious section of this, which is <laughs> when it comes to dealing with girls and, and women, what are some of the habits and negative aspects when dealing with girls? And I mean both physically as well as things that are contributing to this um, outside as well. So... For instance, uh, living situations at home, the environment, uh, and, and, and our current society. How does it play a role in affecting these girls' postures? I think we have to be real and honest that we, we live in gender-based violence capital number one. South Africa has, excuse my French, and excuse the pun, trumped America. Um, we we are constantly dealing with threat to our safety, threat to our autonomy, threat to our consent. We're dealing with sexist language. We're dealing with sexist actions. We're dealing with rape culture. And as women, we are either exposed to that or in our homes sheltered from that. And either way, it's, it affects us as vocalists as well as as people, as individuals. If we feel threatened in our personal spaces, not just outside society, then when it comes to trying to practice on top of that, the tension is evident. It's in the body. It's, it's in the voice. The throat is closed. It's tight. Our bodies are an incredible indicator of how safe, we feel and how how safe students feel and in the same breath if we are, are sheltered from from that kind of violence if we are in a, a safe but uber controlled uh, and controlling environment in the home we tend to be locked in we tend to be contained we tend to listen to the advice of moderate moderate your volume girls don't talk too loud uh, girls mustn't be outspoken. There are 50 shades of of uh, violence, verbal and otherwise, that we that we deal with, and and I think that being being sheltered and cloistered is is no less damaging 
because girls learn not to take up space. And as a performer, you have to, you have to be comfortable. You have to take up space on stage, vocally and physically. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so sad to actually see because, and, and just coming back to a point that I mentioned, you know, the, the thing of um, that thing of being locked up at home, you know, trying to be more accommodating of people. Obviously it's, it's different for, for women because if you think of a boy, a boy would, would be more likely thinking of something like um, uh, just not, a, just not troubling his parents or, um, in the case of singing in public with friends, he doesn't want to embarrass himself, so he sings softer. But for a girl, it's it's actually not so much nerves, but sometimes it is it is a crippling fear, and that is yes. so much more harmful to the posture and the voice because it really locks everything up. Yes, yes, and sometimes you have to, as a teacher, stop what you're doing in the lesson and say. All right, let's adopt let's adopt a different posture here. Let's let's take up space for a moment. Don't worry about your sound. Let's focus on the breath. Let's focus on getting it deeper, breath by breath, gradually getting her to unwind and and unlock. And you have to you have to be vigilant and, and watch for that as a teacher and realize that sometimes silence is a tool in itself. We, we can be so busy try, as, as practitioners and as teachers trying to get people to make sound. But sometimes the power lies in hitting pause, checking in with the student and starting again. And I, th- I think another important aspect to look at is, is maybe also the use of, um, or, or looking up at least, uh, the psychological aspects because I, I feel as, as, as a teacher, especially if you're going to be working with girls, it's, it's important to be sensitive, be aware of issues and um, kind of have some sort of know-how. Because in a way, you may be the only person that could be listening to these girls. I mean, mm. I, I mean you, you sometimes have a lot of... Um, uh, border students you know and and they've got they don't really have a a parental figure that they can come to and and they connect because it's different for um i mean their teachers in class those those teachers are working with with a group of kids you know and you are one-on-one with with this child and sometimes you are exposed to things that um can really break your heart sometimes you know there's there's many times i've been either upset or absolutely heartbroken to hear about certain home situations of of, of kids such a such a challenging one uh i suppose i suppose teachers in a way we would benefit from some some psychological training like like psychologists do um on how to when needed create a, a barrier between oneself and, and one student. But then there's the flip side of it means that the student feels or, or you feel that that, that, that that connection and that trust is, is disrupted. So it's very, it's very challenging. But I, I guess we also have a duty, all teachers do, if we, if we come across 
unsound um, unsound practice. We have a duty to to speak for and and supply rhetoric for on behalf of our students and also teach them how to speak for themselves at the same time. I find that that's where literature can be so important and that's why when we discuss women in music later there is such power in in words and in knowledge being passed on and it can be the difference between someone being heard and someone being silenced that's a very nice point there thank you yeah i i I just think uh for me, for me, yeah, the, the, the psychological part is, is such a, an important thing. Because, I mean, we did mention uh, how the brain kind of works with Alexander Technique. And I find mm. I've, I've, I've got to be personally, and, and I think it helps that, um, in a way, I was a stubborn student and uh, also a very explorative student in high school. Because instead of doing my maths, I was like sitting with um, psychology textbooks. And then I was also interested in a lot of music therapy when I got to uh, university. And <laughs> there's so many interesting aspects that you, that you come across and, and learn about, even the experimental side of it. Um, but I've just found that as I've grown and grown as a teacher, that um, in order to get someone in the right place of uh, dealing with their sound, um, getting the posture right you have to you have to focus on the mind and and not just how the mind thinks about performing but also get their mind in a safe place and and that's where for me psychology has been an important part that's i'm I'm very sensitive when when dealing with 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 my kids um i know that there's, there's sometimes they come to a lesson and and also they are going through a tough time and stuff yes yeah. Just to be sensitive to that and say, remember, you're as good as your as your next performance. So if we're not if we're struggling today, it's okay because there's also such a perfectionism that comes through in life and therefore in teaching. Obviously, we we want our students to to perform at their best and we want our students to to be growing every lesson, but it doesn't always happen. We are they come in with with their their lives, not just their sound. Um every from lesson to lesson and every lesson is different and it helps to change your approach when needed every lesson. Just just meet them where they're at. Every student has to have their their personalized individual vocabulary. And and that's when they feel they can talk to you and that they can reach you and that you reach them. That's where the development comes in, but also just f- them feeling that it's okay to have your voice go <laughs> mid mid scale or something. That it it happens because I find there's so many so many girls walk through my doors who are petrified of making mistakes. Oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I actually had the question recently at our at our last choir rehearsal. Uh, one of the girls that was doing a solo asked me to help a bit with posture and stuff. And uh, it was actually because the last performance that she she did, she had uh, like a momentary crack. 
And it, yes. it, it didn't, like, I, I heard it, but it didn't sound serious. I mean, uh, the, the audience, there was no even reaction from the audience. But obviously, when you, when you, when you experience it personally, it, it is so different. And then, and then the mm-hmm. truth kind of pops out in that person's perception of um, yeah. their faults, you know. <laughs> yeah. And also how they're raised to deal with, with inverted commas, failure. Because yeah, yeah. some parents make a very big contribution to performance anxiety. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think something just kind of occurred to me. So I, it's still in, within the topic, but um, I'm hoping you can maybe in some way help me with this. So, so when it mm-hmm. comes to, uh, they call it, I think it's tiger, tiger parenting or something like that. Um, yes. Um, but, but also from my side, just using an, an example, if I think back to, uh, there's a friend of mine, um, and unfortunately he did pass away a few years ago, but he was with me at university and, and we did piano together and he spoke, um, he spoke about his piano lessons where his teacher, the moment he would, he would make a mistake, would rack him on the knuckles with this long wooden ruler. And it reminds me of a ballet teacher I had. <laughs> Unfortunately, we... we've, we've got teachers like that and, um, you know, I, I, I feel at, at least there's been some uh, changes happening in, in the approach uh, and the discovery of different teaching methods. But I feel that there still are a lot of teachers that, that teach with that style. And what do you what do you think? Because, I mean, for, for piano, it's, it's one thing. Uh, yes, attention can affect and whatnot, but there's a, there's a unique kind of uh, practice uh, that a teacher likes to use where they show the playing of notes with a pencil and they play mm. this phrase and they play the phrase beautifully. And, and then they say, you know, the, the, the concept of uh, your sound, as long as you mentally have it there, whatever you're dealing with, even if you, you, you've got tension somewhere, you can produce that sound somewhere because it's in your ear. You know what you want it to sound, sound like, you know how to shape it, but with the body yes. and the voice, it's, it's different. So this this type of teaching, how would you say, is detrimental uh, to? Well, you can even think outside of of, of women in this point. Um, yes, yeah, I think just in general, it's, students. Yeah, it's it almost makes teachers tap out of their their own responsibility to vocal health and this is something that I always speak about as a practitioner and part of my ethos as a teacher is if I wouldn't ask myself to do this then I'm not going to ask my student to do this so why would a teacher tell a student it's okay for you to feel uncomfortable or squashed so long as you get the sound out if you as a teacher and as a performer wouldn't do that yourself one thing I do as a teacher is I demonstrate the difference in sound between a line that is squashed and a line that is open and free. 
physically and in terms of mental phrasing, not just phrasing on the breath. And it does make a, a massive difference um, to a student's sound, boy, girl, non-binary, it doesn't matter. You have to hold yourself accountable as a teacher to the fact that you are not just teaching them an instrument, you are teaching them longevity. You are teaching people who are potentially going to be making a career out of this. And so you have to do everything in your power, even though you, the voice is invisible, even though you can't see everything that's going on apart from the external. You have to do your best every day to be conscious that what you are teaching and how you are teaching it is healthy and lends itself to longevity. Because otherwise, that kind of method of teaching comes back and will bite you on the backside as a teacher. You will get a reputation for creating a certain sound that produces vocal faults, that produces um, inflammation in the voice, and, and produces a budgie sound. And in all honesty, who wants that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's uh, it is it is such an issue, but I I see you 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 kind of have a similar habit to me because I also have a tendency to to demonstrate, because I've noticed students sometimes don't hear themselves. Yes. Uh, they need to find. I I know, I know. My piano teacher said, uh, you know, it can take up to like two years to really develop your ear to actually hear yourself sometimes. Mm. Um, so, so sometimes it's important to to actually show them how they are play, how they are singing, or phrasing something incorrectly. And when they hear it externally, then they're like, "Oh, okay, okay." Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and in the same breath, still cautioning them to remember that they must still sound like them, because with with the dawn of of pop music, so many people want to sound like somebody else. Ah, and yes. While imitation is the biggest form of flattery, it does not a voice make. And I have to disrupt that as a teacher, um, because because otherwise we just have we have mimicry rather than organic voice coming through. Yeah, oh, it's it's such a <laughs> the fine line. Yeah, no, but but <laughs> that, that's actually quite a serious problem now that you mention it. Just thinking of how many students now have actually come to me, and that is the mindset they kind of have. Um, yes. And, and I've had it with piano as well, where, where students come to me, and they're not coming to actually learn how to play the instrument. There's one one specific song or a few yeah. specific pop songs or something that they and they want to learn. Yeah, and they and there are students where they they have a particular artist that is a favorite, and that artist produces a particular sound that yes is to a certain extent a part of the natural style of voice. But I have students coming to me who think huskiness is a kind of voice, uh, yes. whereas it's actually vocal <laughs> fatigue because it's out of balance huskiness it's not a, a natural gravelly voice we all get you know that the weight of the voice we all know we have light and bright we have dark and heavy we have 50 shades in between but there is still 
a balance versus an imbalance. And people tend to come with the imbalance and think that that's a voice style. Yeah. It, do you think there's a way to actually... Because I, I, I also know like how bad those things are. But I'm wondering, is there a way to actually get those types of sounds in a safe way? Because I sometimes see jazz singers use certain techniques and I'm, I... I look at it and I'm like, ooh, okay. Uh, but it, it gets this certain sound and they're dealing with a microphone, they're not projecting. Well, how safe yeah, are some of these pushing. techniques? I guess it depends entirely on the practitioner. I mean, Beyonce was was classically trained and she does a whole lot of marvelous runs, etc. But she's got she's been look at her career. I think that's that's how you can tell. <laughs> how safe something is is how long has someone been singing like this for without having needed to have an operation or a career break or something like that and what i try to do is with my students is say listen as long as you are connected to your body and you are riding on the breath and you are free in the face because there can be so much facial posturing that goes on there's an obsession with it Certainly in modern bel canto training, where people do a whole lot of facial gymnastics and it actually produces tension in the face. Yes, I'm all for beautifully shaped vowels, but not at the expense of freedom and where they're so focused on, on facial gymnastics that they completely forget to engage with the body and the breath support. You have to have all of those things and there has to be a balance even within the, in, even within you know widely regarded sound techniques. I think... It's possible for anyone to run off the edge of the planet with a particular <laughs> technique. It's just about getting comfortable with moderation and with playing until you find the middle ground for that voice. Because what the middle ground is for one voice is not for the other. So it's about personalized education and getting playful with technique to the point where you find the the middle ground. Yeah. And I think that, that, that awareness of your body as well is, is then vitally important to controlling that. Yeah. If I look yes. at, I, I don't know if you, you've come across uh, Hayley Reinhardt? No, I don't think so. She's a jazz singer and, and she's got all these, well, she's got a wide array of, of techniques. Um, but you you can tell from listening to her that she's really explored her voices, the faults, uh, the benefits, her limits, and how to kind of get by those limits and things. But it, yeah. in, in a safe way, she really understands herself so much. Um, yeah, I, it's I, so I must, important. I, I must share one of her uh, performances with you. Please do, yes. Okay. <laughs> Have you found as a teacher that um, students tend to be quite afraid of being a a potential mezzo or soprano. They all want to be altos. I have found that. A lot of my, my, my choir students, uh, I, I know there's, um, there's a girl that has an incredible range. And, and yes, I can put her as alto too, um, but... She can also sing soprano one. And I'm like, mm. why do you want to do that? 
Yeah. 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 And it's such a challenge when when they've got that range, but they don't want to explore it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I know there's a student of mine that, um, and I I don't really want to uh, interfere with uh, like her teacher's teaching now, because she was with me and now she's at at university. uh, And Mm. um, she has this amazing tone quality when it comes to range so she's she's a mezzo uh but her alto range gets this dark really rich tone that suddenly Mm. pops up and um it is so unique and and you can hear that it's it's natural it's really not uh any strain happening there and whatnot but um but it is it's unused entirely uh, the the music that she does doesn't touch the range at all. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's it's it's I suppose it's one of the biggest challenges as a teacher when you really bond with them is to to let them go and let them let them explore things while knowing that you know they may not be exploring their full capacity. It's it's very yeah. challenging. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in, in university. I have no advice on that one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but I suppose because I mean, university is is where your core stuff is learned. Um, mm. A lot of your core principles, techniques, uh, and 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 skills to kind of build on are there. And, yes. Um, uh, I mean, this side of a voice is always something that she can look at developing uh, at at a later stage. And I know she she does dabble in a bit of jazz and stuff and i know it's a it's an incredible voice for especially your jazz alto range uh yeah yes and i suppose that's where there is the flip side to to academic um music because then they they're looking for a particular sound and they want you to produce that sound and you are you're you're curbed and crafted to to produce the the desired uniform sound whereas there are there is actually room for different directions for a voice to go and when when we're kind of marking it according to tick boxes then then as teachers we can we can limit and as as people who create syllabi if we if we aren't cautious about which voices we include on those lists we are limiting the variety of sound and and of performance style that that we yeah i mean if i think about my my own vocal journey i i started in choirs by matric i was in four choirs the kzn men's youth choir the school choir the school competition choir and i was also deputy head of the glee club <laughs> and so i did a huge amount of vocal exploration as a as a schoolgirl but i only did solo training in matric and then i only really dived into opera when i was at university because i had an operatic an operatically trained coach and performer and it was so ironic that i went into opera because i hated it as a child absolutely hated it and as a teen i used to mum used to put the the cds on in the morning for breakfast classical cds also opera and i used to plug my fingers in my ears and walk around going blah, 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 blah. i did not <laughs> want to hear it i did not want to sing it 
And it was only with with age and with time that I learned to appreciate the the training and the whole concept of technique. And it it was a hard lesson to learn because I'd experienced as a schoolgirl being trained by people who didn't understand vocal health, be that in a choral sense or a, a solo sense. And I experienced losing my voice and I experienced vocal fatigue and I experienced inflammation. And even in university with the techniques that I learned, I would say the biggest growth that I've experienced is now with my current vocal supervisor where she's turned from the focus of facial posturing, which is a big focus for contemporary bel canto, even though they like to say it's about breath and body. Um, and she's focusing entirely on on me exploring the physicality of my instrument to support that sound. And it has radically transformed my voice. I've literally changed fach because of it. I'm now moving into a dramatic voice. And yes, contributes to age. And it contributes to life experience. Because our, our, our physicality is one of the elements that determines a voice type, but it's not the only element. We also we have to have the emotional truth that comes through, which then lends itself to dramatic versus versus a light voice. So it's such an interesting journey. We, we've covered that quite nicely. We, we still have some serious points that uh, I think will kind of link up with this as well. But uh, I think for now, let's... Uh, since we are in a way heading this way, what would you say is your path forward in music now? Well, I think Guildhall School of Music puts puts this whole concept very nicely. They talk about portfolio careers where people do both teaching and performance. They are practitioners and they are educators. And I think that's a very good way to describe myself. When I was at university, I'd already started, I was starting to train beginner singers, very, very babies. They, I, I recognized fully that, you know, I was still in training myself. And so it wouldn't be ethical if I felt that um, someone else's vocal health was important. It wouldn't be ethical for me to teach at a level I didn't understand myself. And then when I graduated, I was an active performer. I was a freelance opera singer. And I also had a, a private studio. I then intended to move to Cape Town and audition for the Cape Town Opera Company. And unfortunately, that coincided with COVID. I was wow. just getting settled, just getting used to this new space as a Kezadena, finding finding Cape Town was being very Cape Town. And then COVID happened on top of it. And I had to change tack quite a bit because the previous year I'd done 10 performances that year of my own concerts of my own design with various musicians. Um, I'd also collaborated with others on their concerts and their shows, their competitions. I'd had a whale of a time and now COVID made me change tack and and forced me to put that part of myself aside 
to a certain extent, although I did do virtual performances, and focus more on teaching and on education. And I can honestly say that it's been the greatest role that I could have played thus far in my young career. On, in the grander scheme of things, I'm, I'm still regarded as newly graduated. Um, I graduated in April 2019, finishing the previous year in November 2018. And so I'd had a year out as a freelancer and then 2020 COVID happened and my focus became became teaching. It made me understand so much about the human voice and stop sitting only in in newly newly graduated mode and start really reflecting on my practice reflecting and being conscious of what it felt like in my body when the right the right sound or the healthy sound and my sound most importantly was coming out and it trained me to listen to other people's sounds listen to other people's voices because i think as a soloist you can get so so focused on on your own sound and it's been such a good training to to listen to other people's sounds and and the different roles that they are embarking on to to really hone my craft as as a performer but also hone my craft as a teacher going forward it's going to be as we're opening up returning again to more of a focus, more of a leaning uh, to performance. I do have ambitions to represent my country internationally. I am also a foreign birth citizen of um, two spaces, which I shan't name. But yes, I, I'm, I'm proudly South African and I want to represent my country. I want to now move towards a professional opera career where I'm performing on stage, but teaching will always be a simultaneous part of my future career because it's so necessary and so important and it make it really makes you a much better performer. But also it's made me share. It's made me realize the importance of sharing what you know. If we are to to bridge the gaps and opportunity that that we know are a thing in this country. We have to get comfortable with with sharing, not holding tight to what we know and what we've experienced. And not just for the privileged few. It's it's so important. And this is why technology is is an incredible educational medium because it's free a lot of the time. And so it's where we can reach wider audiences than those that are in our our bread and butter opportunities. And it can reach those who are in other countries. I mean, I'm teaching someone online in Zambia because of technology. Yeah, I've, I've also had that, that experience. I mean, I think a lot of my students are actually more uh, international than I deal with now. But... Um, mm. I think your journey has been a lot like mine. And I know when I was at university, I was very stubbornly insistent that I want to be a performer. Mm. And and now I've actually discovered that I've, I've reached the stage that I'm in, in, in my understanding of music, in my, my technical approach and everything 
the reason why I am where I am um, and can stomach kind of almost anything you, you, you throw at me is because I have gone into teaching. Yes, it makes you incredibly resilient. Quite apart from anything else, if you're a, a, a teacher who does a lot of vocal demonstration, you have to really learn how to protect your voice, not just when you're singing, but when you're speaking. You become uber conscious. It's like a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, you also look at things in, in so many different angles as well. Um, yes. Because you, you've, in order to shape the current student that you deal with, you have to first understand their viewpoint of everything yes. uh, in order to guide them properly. Um, and it, it puts you in a place where you maybe wouldn't have thought of a, a specific technique in a certain way if you were just primarily in performance. Mm -hmm. It makes you a lot more experimental and and personalized. And I think it's a very good training for the, the professional scene not just for the student, but for for practitioners who are also teachers, because it's another level of discipline, I feel, to, to show up with full energy for a new student every half hour or hour, even if there are gaps in between, and to give them your all and to give them your full attention and your full consciousness, because the same approach is required when you learn a role. And you have to be conscious every day of, how a role is speaking to you and what new insights might come your way if if you prick up your ears or engage with your body and, and listen and, and listen to what directors are saying. Because I think we can we can be guilty until we've actually been a teacher. We don't realize how easy it is to to switch off and take take for granted what we're taught and um, just remember some parts of the lesson. <laughs> this the, the practice of, of being an educator really made me realize just how engaged and conscious a really good teacher has to be i've i've just had i've had i've been so privileged to have had incredible teachers from from whom i've learned a lot and i think we earn we owe a great deal to them uh, more more than we realize and more than we give them credit for. And that whole slogan of those who can't teach is a load of drivel. Excuse my French. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I think we, yeah, we, we all at some stage pass something on, even if we don't realize it, you know. So why not look at developing that into a stronger sense, a stronger how do I say it? Um, well, an asset, basically. Oh, so we've got uh, Nicolina that has joined us. Thank you very much for joining us, Nicolina. So, Emma, we are going to a lighter segment, a bit of a more fun segment. We're going to play a bit of uh, 20 questions, but it's less questions. And it's more focused on the arts. I think we may have... Hi, Emma. Ooh, sorry about that. We are putting the generator on. I've got some data, so hopefully that'll last as long as it takes to put the generator back on. Okay. No, it shouldn't be too bad. This doesn't use uh, too much data at all. All right. Yeah. Oh, the joys, the joys of power outages. Yeah, I, I think, I, I feel like I've been living on edge. I, I know the last time when we had uh, Laura Poe on here, 
um i think our our power came on like four hours before or something so I, i was just banking on that day hopefully they would sort out all our issues yes Hey, thank goodness for for apps like Escom to push. Yeah. <laughs> give us a little bit of they give us the courtesy of a little bit of warning. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yes, yes, yes. Okay, so we've covered your path forward in music. Let's jump to the the fun segment, which is the the as I was saying the the musical. 20 questions but it's less questions and and more focused on um the artistic side of things all right all right so if you had to pass away and have a funeral what composer would you like uh to be playing uh Hmm. i think it would be florence beatrice price's dances in the cane break uh, it's just such a joyful, soulful, spiritual song. Uh, she was an African-American female composer. And, you know, honestly, that, that would, could change with the wind because I'm constantly discovering more names and adding to the list. But right now, she's the woman for me. Okay. Let's see. Next one. Uh, your most memorable performance. It was a feather on the breath of God. I staged it on the uh, Grahamstown, then Grahamstown, now Makanda National Arts Arena Festival. We had four shows. It was my first. It was my proper professional debut. I'd done Op Profound and a previous feather on the breath of God before, but this was the this was the big deal. We had four shows. They were all sold out. We performed in a deconsecrated nun's chapel, and of course, it featured women in music. In fact, it was entirely comprised of women in music. Ten to be exact. And that was the bomb diggity. Okay. In fact, I got a tattoo because of it. Fun fact. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, favorite female composer? That's like asking someone what their favorite chocolate is. <laughs> Crisis. Um, <laughs> hmm. Dame Ethel Smythe right now is is on the list, but there's also Cassiani. I can't answer with one. Um, let's let's go with two. So Cassiani, Dame Ethel Smythe, and right now Florence Beatrice Price. There, you have three. My top three. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. So uh, I'm sure we've all had these moments where uh, sometimes there's just someone you want to. Uh, you're in a room with anyone to slap them. So if you had to actually slap someone, what would be the theme music playing for this slap? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, the Trolltagen, I think. Yes. The theme of madness. Okay. okay. <laughs> it sounds sufficiently, sufficiently stumpy and... And enraged. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, um, I think most performers kind of have this. A place you always wanted to perform. Well, in terms of opera, it would be magic to perform at 
the Met and La Scala, Carnegie, as a maybe for something like a recording, I would love to re- to record or do a live performance in a castle, maybe Enya's castle. Yes, Enya's castle because it's all equipped. Huh? Did not know that. Yes. She's a she's wicker and she lives in a castle and she has her own studio from where she records everything. Huh. I must look it up. Right. Very last last question. And then if if you want to ask me some random questions, you can as well. <laughs> All right. So with the way the world is currently going, if you had to sum the world up into one color. What would that color be? Cloud violet. Violet. Because there's light peeping through. There always is. You have to hold on to the light and you have to fight for that light. We know there is a lot of dark happening and a lot of complicated, a lot of complication and also violet because we have to approach things with 50 shades of diplomacy uh, and justice in the same breath. So it needs to be a mixed color. So let's go storm cloud violet. Okay. Very interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. Anything for me? No questions for me? What's the one I was asking you the other day? Uh, is that the one about composition? That's it, yes. What's your advice for people starting out with who, who are interested in, in being composers? In whatever genre and whatever instrument, what's your advice for them starting out? So I have been thinking about this one quite a bit, and I feel first maybe some of the complications need to be thought of, because I, I found that um, when it comes to composition, there is sometimes a place people reach where they feel they can't ever approach composition Mm -hmm. and it's usually it's usually when people have learned everything so so people at the beginning always always look at 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 composition as though it's this uh this great powerful thing um and and they think ah you know one day one day i'll get into composition yes and then one day they're a performer and they're still not in composition and they'd still like to tackle composition. And it, it's actually difficult to get into composition once you are, once you've kind of learned everything. I would say the biggest advice I can give is to, when you are learning your basics, when you are learning theory, learning about new composers, um, composition is actually all about making mistakes. Play, uh, making mistakes and breaking rules. So yeah. pl- play around with everything you learn. You are in the perfect environment if you're starting theory. You are learning a new rule and you can learn to, uh, well, obviously you need to first learn the rule thoroughly. So then you can learn how to break it, how to bend it, uh, play around with it. Uh, that is that is ideal for developing composition. Because yes. you have your form, you have all, all your, th- your theoretical approaches and you are not just learning them, but you are expanding on them and creating with them. 
and it makes it so much easier when you move on you know uh, to more advanced things even in your performance side of things yes and i I suppose also not um not being too concerned about your age i was watching a musical theater production about james larson because one of my students is doing um come to your senses from that that film it's on netflix and he had such an obsession with turning 30. And I know from Joyce Di Donato, an opera singer, having spoken about it in a, in a particular interview, it, it's the same thing. People can have such an obsession with having had to have attained recognition or put great opuses out there as if little songs are unimportant because they're not we've you know there's a reason we have little songs on standard repertoire lists as well as big ones it's because there's room for everything and people people just need to breathe man they need to breathe they need to relax 30 is not death row for composition and it's not death row for your career it's actually where it starts yeah i I think this whole concept of making things too big is is really the issue because, mm. um, I mean, if you look at the great composers, even if you look at Beethoven, there are some works that are really not that great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and also the whole, the whole thing and the whole point of, of music education and a, and a music world is that there is meant to be room for everyone and for different kinds of voices and different levels of voice. And just because... It's actually one of the biggest arguments that was used to shut women out back in the day um, of of composition. Um, it was one of the biggest sexist statements. Women are only capable of writing little songs. Of course, Louise Veronk knocked that entirely on the head, amongst other people. And some some women in throughout history self published. Others had help. Others did it all themselves. Others uh, chose a domestic life for a time and then return to their music. We all have nuanced existences and nuanced lives. And I don't know why there's such an obsession with only allowing certain voices space and particularly depending on their size and how many um, times they've, they've had performance accolades or compositional accolades. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came across something that was actually quite a scary thing to to hear about. Um, so I went on Instagram one of the days, I think it was when I was actually advertising for this podcast, and I saw, uh, I don't know if you know the, the violinist Esther Abrami? Yes. So she she was actually doing an interview for um, the month uh, Women's Month, and there was uh, there was a lady that that she had that was a composer and as well as a conductor, and that lady made the statement that that actually shocked me. So she says she said she was the first woman that is a composer that has conducted their own work mm-hmm. in 40 years 
<laughs> it's horrifying that we still have statements like that. And, and people applaud. They say, oh, this is wonderful. We're being represented now. It's been time for uh, since day dot, and we're still only having first woman coming up now. We're seeing the same thing with Stelly's. The first, I think, was the first woman um, uh, deputy, something or other. I can't even remember. I was so shocked into silence. But in this day and age, we're still having firsts for women. Really? Is that something to be proud about? Not, eh? Definitely not. It's horrific. Yeah. And we have to ask why. I had a student the other day. So I have a, an incredible book. It was. Um, it was self, it was crowdfunded by, let me find this book. It's called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. And they've got a second edition out now. It was arranged by Elena Favilli and Francesca Cavallo. And they crowdfunded the entire project themselves. And, and then they got um, illustrators from all over the world to, to produce illustrations of famous women in history. All walks of life, all races, all fields, not just in music, all countries, or as many countries as they possibly could. And, um, oh, sorry. Oh, what? sorry. Someone's just quickly switching the power. It's back. We're dancing with technology again today. And um, as I was saying, this this book featured a, a conductor. I actually saw her. Let me get to the page. And my student said, you know what? I have never come across a female conductor. I've never seen them in videos. I've never heard of them. And we're still having that in 2022. We're still having conversations like that. It is it is really alarming. If, if you look at the majority of performances that happen, um, how many male conductors you have. And the only, the only time I really see a female conductor is during workshops. Mm-hmm. Because it looks good. People are interested in ticking particular boxes on particular days. It has to be said. The same goes for featuring women in music. We had an interesting conversation about this, um, which I'll get to right now. But here's the the name of that that conductor that I showed my students because it was it was Women's um, International Women's Day. So I I showed. A, a, a famous and likely unknown woman to each of my students on that day. Although I talk about women in music all the time. So every day is Women's Day in my classroom. <laughs> but this person was called Zhang Jian. I don't know if you've heard of that conductor. Uh, no, it's my first time hearing of her. Yeah. And so they have a sort of a page, page a day story. And, and here's, here's her little story. She was born in China in 1973. Once upon a time, there was a country where pianos were forbidden. Pianos were not sold in stores and they were not played in concerts. They simply were nowhere to be found. One day, a man had a smart idea. He bought all the required pieces and built a piano himself. He did not build it to play it, though. He built it for his four-year-old daughter, Zhang. Zhang loved playing so much that she became a piano teacher and trained singers at the Central Opera House in Beijing. She was happy and thought that she would be a piano teacher and a pianist for her whole life. One night, after the final rehearsal of The Marriage of Figaro, a beautiful opera, the orchestra conductor called Zhang and she told her, without further explanation, tomorrow 
you are going to conduct. Thank you, she squeaked. She was terrified. The following day, she called the orchestra for an extra rehearsal. She was tiny, only 20 years old. When she stepped onto the podium, some of the musicians laughed at her. She did not blink. She did not smile. She just raised her baton and waited. After 10 minutes, the whole orchestra was following her with respect. My life changed overnight, she said. Today, Zhang is one of the most important orchestra conductors in the world. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's, it's a similar experience. Uh, if you look at the life of uh, Nadia Boulanger, mm. uh, when, when, when she started conducting, um, there was quite a bit of resistance uh, from the orchestra initially. And um, yeah, but she, she was such a profound person. But it, it, it's also sad that, you know, um, women have to work so much harder to actually be recognized. Yes. You're asked to prove yourself. That's the, that's the immediate thing that follows. Um, that follows the appointment of a woman in in the music scene I've found. And, and from what, um, my contacts have told me people in my network, because obviously I can't speak to the experience of a woman in orchestra and uh, the experience of, of, um, a woman conductor, uh, or an instrumentalist. I have to ask the relevant people for those, those points of view. And it's widespread and it's still happening. And even in the bodies that represent us, I mean, I was interviewed recently by a, a music body because they'd found that a very, very nominal percentage of their, um, their body, their organization was comprised of women. They didn't even talk about in, in whether they were in leadership or not. I, I dread to think. Um, but it's, it's, it's a widespread issue. Yeah, it certainly is. Pause. Yeah, I created to, to try and, you, you know, there's also a narrative with, with women in music that we only struggle. And when I... When I produced A Feather on the Breath of God on the Grahamstown, then Grahamstown National Arts Arena Festival, now Makanda, and when I produced my e-concert documentary, Her Story, I really tried to ensure that there was diversity of voice, diversity of instruments, diversity of um, composer featuring, but also diversity of story. Because... Just like Beethoven, Vivaldi, Mozart, Chopin, Debussy have lived vivid lives and had very colorful careers and had moments of struggle and, mo and great moments of success. The same can be said for a lot of women in history. And whilst it's important to recognize that women are underrepresented, underperformed, not in, in directorship, not conduct not featuring prominently in in conducting i feel it's so essential to add to that argument and say yes but look at those who are look at those who existed look at those that exist to look at the past and the present and to talk about their careers in a nuanced way in a way that recognizes every facet of them 
not in some tick box. Oh, we're going to feature a woman uh, in a program. And it's going to be it's going to be um, we'll we'll feature one one composer just to tick that box, and then we're going to carry on doing the same thing. No, speak about their lives. I will never forget a, a an audience member at at Feather on the Breath of God talking to me. Um, I, I basically I, I created a Feather on the Breath of God as a public performance, but then I made it my case study for my honors research paper. And I asked audiences to fill out questionnaires. And one of the comments that was written at the at, at the bottom of the page was, "Thank you for featuring." These new, inverted commas, new voices, I am bored to tears with standard repertoire. We have a duty as musicians and as educators and as music bodies to support bringing out the unheard voices and to support bringing out the up and coming. The up and coming regardless of gender and same same to a certain extent with with the underrepresentative history but we have to recognize gaps when there are the, when they are there and we have a massive gender gap on stage in classrooms and in academia when it comes to women featuring in music we really do i cannot remember being taught one female composer throughout my entire school career and women were vaguely mentioned to me, female composers were mentioned to me when I was at university. But that production that I did, A Feather on the Breath of God, was one big experiment and exploration journey for me. Because I came across hundreds, if not thousands, of names. Some of whom dated back to the year 850, who I'd never heard of. And people had done all this work, particularly feminist musicologists, had done all this work to bring these names into prominence, to create educational resources, knowledge to be shared and distributed. And yet, they are not on our standard repertoire lists in a big way. They don't, it doesn't near gender equality. ABRSM, Trinity, UNISA. We've got School of, of, of Rock where, you know, uh, pop singers feature, pop composers. But in terms of the classical, we are very far behind and we need to catch up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a, I can't remember which choir piece it was that we're doing. Um, but there's one from our selection now that we're performing. Uh, I must get the name. Um, that was written by a female composer, but because of the time period, uh, it's it's labeled as anonymous. Mm. Yep. And yeah. and women had to do things like that. So some people wrote under nom de plumes. Others were anonymous. Other people pre pretended to be men. Rebecca Clark, in fact, did an experiment, a social experiment. And this was when she'd, she'd reached a very good um, level of, of musical recognition as a professional. But she did an experiment where she submitted one of her compositions or, or a collection of compositions under a false name, under a male name. And she immediately got more hits. Ah. <laughs> it's incredible the things that women have, have have gone through in history and are going through, and what they've still managed to do despite that all. And and what I love about having learnt all these these voices is that it's 
it's almost an, an inexhaustible list. Because no sooner have I caught up with the past according to somebody else, then someone else will create a different resource that goes even further back or focuses on a particular cultural group. And you just have more to learn. And that keeps things interesting as an educator and a performer apart from anything else. That's part of the appeal of, of focusing on, on music like this, apart from the fact that evidently, you can hear, I am a feminist. It's, it's exciting. There is always more to learn. Yeah. And I, I like the point that you, you mentioned as well, uh, because I think a lot of people miss this. Um, I'm looking at female composers now as well. Because I think mm. I think the moment um, the moment like Women's Day comes around uh, and and people want to focus on women, they always look to the past. They they find and and I think I, I've mentioned it a number of times the most common name I come across is is Clara Schumann, and there's this yes. world of other composers out there, um, and and now there's actually one that I uh, I'm busy teaching now so it's a jazz composer um that was classically trained first so uh it, it's, it's actually a difficult piece but my band is definitely gonna do it um, knocking it out of the ballpark yes yes <laughs> uh so it's uh hiromi uehara and, and the Ooh. name of the piece is is spark it's very pattern hey. pattern based and and very much a fusion of classical and and jazz oh those are so exciting that's why i love florence beatrice price's composition because she she vacillates between a very classically sounding um uh the orchestral sound into um almost almost gospel in moments or or, or praise songs um it's an entirely instrumental piece uh, composition but it, i love the switches There's um, I actually forgot about this. Let me see if I can find it quickly. Um, remember there was that composer that I mentioned. So, female Ukrainian composer that I really liked. Uh, but um, her sound was incredible. Uh, did you did you listen to Penderecki's music after I I, I mentioned it? Guilty confession. No, I haven't yet. <laughs> so, so he's... Hashtag teacher struggles. Hashtag 7 p.m. Uh, last class. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but but it, it, it is a very interesting approach to, to composition. And, mm. and I discovered a Ukrainian female composer that uh, has a style that is very similar to this approach. And I mean, it, it is such a challenging approach to composition because you are not using your normal concepts. Essentially, Pandarecki invented his own, um, what is it, his own notation system because some of the sounds he uses and some of the techniques he used just don't exist anymore. Well, wow. well, well don't, didn't exist. Um, mm. Yeah. Jeez, that's incredible. And and these were the sounds. And we that need sounds that we, we need to hear sounds like that. We need to hear difference. People are bored. 
And if, if, if orchestras and if opera houses and if performance companies and performers themselves and educators want to stay relevant and want to want to have work in the future, then it has to be said, it's a good idea to stay relevant, people. But actually, if you're not going to, to feature women because you, you actually care about championing women, at least be a little bit uh, adventurous. And if you're only going to feature one woman at a time, feature different ones every time, please, people. And when you talk about, when you introduce the piece, talk about their lives. They are not a product. They were a person who are a person. Yeah, yeah. And I think an important stage to reach as well. Obviously, it's nice to kind of focus uh have some awareness female mm-hmm. composers but i think it's also nice to reach a stage of where you put together a, a a concert and not for the sake of uh you know for women's month you want to represent <laughs> women but you actually put a concert together a serious concert and you want to put in a female composers I'm, i mean i'm absolutely in love of with the works of uh mel, mel boni french composer mm. um there's absolutely such gorgeous. there's such a a beautiful approach to her music and and this this really intelligent uh choice of of harmony in it as well that is lovely music yeah. um i actually want to do Isn't some of her chamber just... works yeah. I'm sure you you appreciate this, and I, and I applaud you for featuring women in in choir and and on the repertoire lists of your students because it's so important. Students have to hear the music of women. They also have to see. So that was why when I when I produced her story, I got a an illustrator to produce custom illustrated portraits, which accompanied when when schools and universities purchase it, then they you know they get those worksheets and they get those portraits, but. I've actually just put them up in my my own studios so that they see the picture of the person and the name just to spark that interest so that they go and do further research and they go and find more names because we have to see them, we have to hear them, we have to talk about them, we have to perform them if we are going to bridge this gap. So I really applaud you for for bringing women in music into into your educational program. Oh, no, no, you don't have to applaud me. I, I think for me, it's just been a natural, a good natural shift. And because, all the better for it, because it's then it's an authentic interest. Yeah. I mean, for choral music, Mia Makarov is my favorite. You, you've really got to listen to Mia Makarov. So Finnish uh, female composer, uh, her choral works, like every one of them are amazing. We we're performing. Um, I think it's a Rajaton, uh, which is a butterfly, mm-hmm. uh, and um, yeah. So so we we were performing the full choir version of that. Um, it it is a difficult piece, but it mm-hmm. wow the way she paints, um, the idea of a butterfly. You you can hear it in the music. Mm. obviously you've, you've got to work with the choir quite extensively on getting the right approach the right technique to uh, making it sound because it, it sounds like 
the way the melody is executed, the way the harmony is put together, everything is is painting the picture of this butterfly in flight. It sounds incredible. I'm definitely going to listen to it. You see, we're always learning. There we go. <laughs> I think I think I want to jump back a bit because I feel like I didn't complete something, and it's no. troubling at the back of my mind. Uh, so 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 the the approach to the composition I've I've mentioned you know um, how uh, when you're starting when you're starting out yes it is best because you are learning your techniques then and there, um, but that doesn't eliminate because uh, I don't want it to eliminate as well. Um, more advanced students yes yes no if if i think the key thing is that people they they start start with with an idea and run with it and see where it goes that is how you you produce a composition and if it's big wonderful if it's small wonderful it's no less worthy but sure, by all means, if you're creating something that is is an opus, is massive, play and run with it and layer it and texture it and take up space. Whatever gender. Yeah. But I, I, think, I, think, I think you shouldn't be afraid of also going back to basics. Because, I mean, mm. if you are wanting to get into composition you never touch composition and you are a uh, performer now there's nothing wrong with if you struggle with the concept of putting ideas together for a composition go back to your basics you know uh, just look at uh, instead of focusing on just like a massive like big work just focus on writing something simple for your instrument and then building from there i think a lot of people once they've established themselves they're so terrified of going back and relearning something yeah (laughs) they certainly are they really are (laughs) yeah all right i think we can continue with that okay so female composers of interest are there any others you you would like to mention Oh, I wish I could, I wish I could uh, mention them all. Um, I suppose I'm just going to run a list of names and that will inspire people to maybe go and, and explore those people. So Sofia Gabaidulina, um, Francesca Caccini, Barbara Strozzi, Fanny Mendelssohn, Rebecca Clark, um, Cassiani, Hildegard von Bingen, Florence Beatrice Price, Dame Ethel Smythe, Nadia Boulanger or the Boulanger sisters. Oh, there are a whole lot of of, um, of African American composers I've recently recently come across. What are their names? Oh, I've hit a blank, but Florence Beatrice is one of them. But anyway, there are so many. There are so many names, and there's also I can mention some resources that are are incredible if you want to to learn more names and. One of them is the the Woman in Music Project. The other is uh, Boulanger Initiative, which is you can be you can find on Instagram. They are doing incredible work and really playing with how to feature and bring bring women from all around the world um, into music education on stage. They've created 
posters, alphabet posters featuring a female composer. All walks of life, all cultures, all races, all instruments, all voices. And it's it's really it's phenomenal what they're doing and I think they've they've probably got a lot of a lot of funding. So they do all sorts of things. They fund projects, they create e resources, they feature names, they've just recently completed or, or completing um, Black History Month where they just made a focus on it, um, on women of color, but they do that anyway. And so they're an amazing example of how to talk about women, how to feature them in a way that is balanced, is nuanced, and um, is continuous. Yeah, no, that's very nice. Yeah. There was a there was a book you mentioned. Yes, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. That's mm. a lovely one. I've 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 bought it for regardless of what um, gender children I have one day. Um, Hopefully, if I'm if I'm blessed and I have children, then I'm gonna read the uh, read those to them. I want them to learn about important women in history from all around the world. Um, they've got women from West Africa, um, women from Brazil, from Czech or then Czechoslovakia, uh, Russia, England, France, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know the the big countries, but also the lesser known countries. Yeah. Right. That's also a great resource. Let me think as well. Um, I think it was, now that you mentioned the Boulanger sisters, so it, it, it's Nadia Boulanger and, and I think it's Lily, Lily Boulanger. Um, yes, there we are. Yeah. Oh, there's right. so many. There are honestly so many women. Gear up for a roller coaster of knowledge because... They're on extensive lists. Oh, one of the resources that really helped me with um, A Feather on the Breath of God was a, a an, an anthology of of music um, and also write-ups, academic write-ups about their lives. It was Music com- Composers, Women Through the Ages. And at that stage, I went to Rhodes University. At that stage, Rhodes' music library had about 10 volumes. I think they're now about 12. I don't know if that particular anthology collection has been discontinued. They're a little bit difficult to, to reach um, via email, so I'm not sure. But I know some people sell those volumes on online, on Take-A-Lot, on Amazon, etc. So if you're wanting to invest in in collections where where you've got modern notations of ancient scores, which is a, has been, in my experience, a big barrier for people, when they want to feature women in music that are from way back when is they just don't know where to start. And that was a great resource in where to start. That was certainly the attitude of um, the academics, music academics that I interviewed for my research paper when I was in my honours year. I interviewed three different vocal academics from South African vocal institutions and we had big fat chats. And just one of the things they said is, it's difficult to to know where to start and how to feature music that is difficult to get hands on. So that's where music arrangers can be a great help. And that's why the Boulanger Initiative is, is an amazing resource as well, because they have a whole online um, portfolio, which they are building on, of modern notated scores of lesser known works. So that people, so it's playable, so that students understand the score they're looking at. And same goes for educators, because as a journalist said about A Feather on the Breath of God, sometimes 
you don't know what you don't know. That was Mr. Raymond Perrier, and he was 100% correct. <laughs> but we all have to start somewhere. All right. And I think, before, because I actually realized I nearly missed the point that I did want to discuss. Um, and I think it's because we actually automatically covered certain sections. Mm. Um, speaking on your experience in music as a woman, uh, mm. and, and this is now some of the negative ex- experiences, and also other ways you've seen other women being affected. I mean, to some degree, we have kind of addressed it, but there are sometimes more serious issues and other issues that uh, one sometimes doesn't think about when it comes to women in in music that can be an issue as well. Yes. I mean, I was asked this by the same same organization that interviewed me a few weeks ago um, because they were trying to figure out why they have such a marked gender gap and why they are – people view them as as unapproachable and i mean i put out a call in my network to garner other people's experiences but if i can speak to my own first i as someone who has largely created my own career um solo i haven't necessarily had a a team behind me all the time there's a lot that i i learned through through experience obviously um realizing how I hadn't asked myself as a student where the women were in composition and and then making the choice to and making the commitments that that was going to be part of my my lifelong work as a performer and an educator um I was almost being sexist to my own gender before that I just didn't I didn't ask the questions and I wasn't exposed to I wasn't exposed to women in music um and that is an important building block and I didn't really know where to look but excuses aside I had to reckon with that and 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 make sure that I, I wouldn't perpetuate that going forward um I had to hold myself accountable and and make it part of my work as a performer and an educator. The second thing that I experienced more personally was when I was at university, I was lucky enough to have an impresario, someone who helped me to, to sponsor, he sponsored me, um, he and his wife, to produce A Feather on the Breath of God, both productions, because we had one the previous year, which was just a private concert, and that was the that was the start of uh, and the seed for the main a feather on the breath of God. But anyway, I, I had that support structure and I had an incredible mentor, Gareth Walwyn, who, who really, he spoke, he would take time out of his day to speak to me about, this is how the, the professional industry works. People who gave of their time and expertise and, and support and knowledge freely. So I have I have a great deal of thanks for for Douglas Bullis and Ellison Ross who were my impresarios and and Gareth Warwin, who was my mentor and then of course my voice coach Miss Joe at the time who was at university and now my current one Margaret Clay Bowen my vocal supervisor but whilst I was a student I had the unfortunate experience of encountering a stalker fan <laughs> and I did not know how to deal it was quite something um, quite a shock to the system as someone who f- thought that she was largely 
sheltered and 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 protected from from that kind of thing. I thought I'd only really ever encounter that when I was out in inverted commas the real world. Not of course realizing that as soon as you put yourself on stage in a professional arena, you are in the real world. I was just so busy enjoying the the excitement of it, of producing my own show and and directing it and. Being the, the the star and doing all of the above, wearing many hats. <laughs> I'm sure Marceline Minar can appreciate that. She's the current director of Cape Town Opera Company and an incredibly talented female powerhouse. And um, yeah, I had this I had this stalker fan who who started off quite subtly. So um, I had the I had the error of someone in my support group thinking he was okay, I won't name names, and, and giving him my number because he had certain um, decor items that he wanted to lend me for the, for the purpose of, um, of, of adding to the, the visual element of my performance. And so he got my contact that way, and it just it, it enabled him to, to spam me um, morning, noon, and night with with messages I was inundated um, and it was very overwhelming and it started off subtly and then it culminated in my him going on holiday with his wife and um, my being sent a very inappropriate photo and it was at that point where I realized whoa okay what's what what's happening here this isn't just a super fan this is actually a stalker fan and this is seriously importunate (laughs) uncomfortable behavior and i don't know how to deal and i was really lucky to to have the kind of relationship where i could go straight to my mentors and and say listen this is this is what's been happening i thought if i gave him the silent treatment he would just lose me and and he hasn't and now this is what it's culminated in and they helped me to word a really a really good um answer sort of almost a legal letter to him saying cease and desist this is unacceptable i have showed your communications your lengthy communications to everybody in my my professional circle who who protect me it's their duty to protect me and they all feel that the frequency with which you you communicate and the contents with which you communicate is entirely inappropriate and excessive and beyond the bounds of, of normal behavior, cease and desist or, or action will be taken against you. And I realized that there could have been other students who, who experienced things like that, who didn't know how to, to handle it and were potentially going through it or had gone through it. And so I realized the importance of using my platform as a way to speak about every experience that, that, that I have. And so I created a, um, a little blog post. Obviously, I didn't name names. But I just wrote a little blog post about how I was advised to deal with it at the time um, and j- just ways to protect yourself as a woman in music, um, but also how to stand your ground verbally and otherwise um, in uncomfortable, challenging, compromising situations. And I've tried to do that going forward. I've written, I've been very open in writing about um, how depression affected affected me um as a performer uh during hard lockdown as as many musicians of course experienced because the thing that we loved was was taken away from us how i navigated being a freelancer going straight out of university without a young artist program behind me um things like that sharing sharing knowledge so that potentially i could help 
other people um, or, or make or make it clearer or just give them an insight into how I dealt with something or how I was advised to deal with something and navigate navigate those transition periods and those challenging elements of being being a woman in music um, or just being a performer in music because there's some blog posts which weren't gender related at all. Um, yeah, and then when I spoke to my network, Changing Tack, when I spoke to them about their experiences as women in music, um, it was quite quite a shocker, um, just just the extent of of, of grievance that, that people have experienced um, as as women in music. I mean, a lot of composers that I approached spoke about having having the experience of, of music organizations mansplaining to them, not hearing them out, not asking them for their point of view and actually listening, but rather listening to respond. Um, and, you know, sometimes mansplaining can be just annoying and other times it can actually be really damaging and detrimental. I mean, we've seen the weight that words can carry with figures like Harvey Weinstein in the, in the performance industry and how, he threatened women who who wouldn't grant him sexual favors and um, and threatened to ruin their careers, which he 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 did. He attempted to do at least. Um, only hope is that the women whose careers he did damage then are now going to be given more uh, given opportunities to bounce back from that. Um, we we have to support those those survivors in the creative industry, and we have to support survivors in society if we are going to. To change things and and bridge those gaps and people must realize the power that they have and get comfortable with not just listening to the sound of their own voice um we've got to, we've got to hear other people we've got to give them room there are stars enough in the sky for us all to shine we just some of us need to get comfortable with making room that's my fundamental attitude as as a musician and and a performer and an educator and my only hope is that um others will join us because i'm not the only one obviously i'm not the only one who feels that these things are important and and, and see the gaps yeah i i guess i guess i could wax lyrical about the experiences of of women in music um how one one person asked some very good questions actually she said why is it that directors of choirs um uh, directors are only directors of 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 choirs why don't we have um marimba bands and things like that so she was just exploring different different um instrumental groupings let me just find the right up it was very very intelligent what she had to say because it also crosses over into what we fund what we value as music organizations and how that limits uh, the voices that are heard and the instruments that are heard. So, aha, here it is. So, our musicians, and she says, we're all very much aware of the gender discrimination in filming and Hollywood, making an effort to raise the bar in paying actresses the same as the leading role of men. But what about in the classical world? Are musicians and composers overlooked? Do we get brushed aside because of gender skill or qualifications? Why do directors of music always have to be a choir master or pianist? Why not appoint a brass teacher and promote a Dixie band? 
or a voice teacher and promote a musical, or a violin teacher and promote a youth orchestra, or a pianist and promote music reading? Why do school syllabi, and I was really chuffed she asked this question because this is what I've been asking, why do school syllabi still emphasize Western music if universities don't offer master classes in composition to school kids? Why do we have to ask for money for music competitions or performances? Why can't the government create opportunities for young musicians to flourish? Why am I teaching students about female composers now? And why was it not in the syllabus for the last few decades? We are in 2022 and, still, and students still don't hear and see female conductors on the South African podium and international, I might add. We are in the process of losing music students, but the training of music teachers, piano tuners and organ builders is rapidly exiting stage left pursued by a bear. So, yeah, those were some of those are some of her points, and I think very, very valid. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a there's a lot there um, mm-hmm. just to think about. Even if you're not looking at just uh, women in music, there's a lot of scary elements that are popping out there. Yes, and and valuing valuing Western. Um, Compositions that are, are are scored versus compositions that are from an oral tradition. We need we need all voices. People need to see. I hear. I really see this with my with my music students. People and students are a lot more engaged in the subject if they feel that they are seeing and hearing themselves as well as other voices represented in the music that they're studying and performing. And from an entirely practical point of view, apart from an ethical, moral obligation, we have to ensure that transformation and diversity in gender, in culture, is a big thing. And and is that, that we are trying to bridge as many gaps as, as possible and explore different voices. Because as I said to you when we met for coffee the other day, music we're at, at education level, particularly at school level, it's not about honing different uh, – it's not about saying, okay, these, these voices and this genre is the acceptable norm. It's about exposure. We can't curate education at, at, at ground level. They need to be exposed to as wide a variety as we can offer and that are as wide a variety as our organizations support and demand that our organizations stretch who they support, when and why and for how long. Otherwise, we're going to lose music students and we're going to lose music practitioners, left, right and center. Yeah, I think as much as possible, we we need to... Learn to step up as well. Like one of the scary things you mentioned is is when you mentioned Harvey Weinstein. If if you really look at it, there are far too many people that are in powerful positions that are not responsible with that power. Yes, and we have to uh, we have to urge people if they see things like that to speak out. Speak out for those who aren't ready to speak out for themselves as well. Obviously, you have to get their permission. You've got to get their consent. If they've already, if we talk, if we talk about gender-based violence, for example, you have to, you have to walk the walk with them, accompanyar, and 
you have to you have to sometimes be someone's voice but you have to do it in a way that they are comfortable with um because otherwise it's just it's 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 just a re-trauma but at the same time as educators be vigilant as performers be vigilant look out for your fellow companions look out for for people in society and where you see injustice where you see sexism however inverted commas mild or not speak out it does not make you a feminazi it makes you someone who cares about people being treated with respect as human beings it makes you a person who cares about people's safety in the workplace it makes you someone who is part being part of the solution and the change we have to be brave and we have to keep speaking until something is done about it right thank you very much emma that is um i actually like how much you've actually covered in in uh this particular topic because um and and kind of our approach here because we've we've addressed not just issues of women but we've actually uncovered a lot of other injustices i would say mm. it's 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 layered <laughs> yeah we are human we step on each other's toes all the time it's just about getting comfortable saying whoops i made a mistake there i'm sorry and then we accept people's apologies and we move forward but don't squash it or bury it because then you will get attacked people <laughs> okay i think uh un unless there's anything else you want to address i think we can close it with our last question i'm happy i'm happy if you are no i'm, I'm quite happy as well um I, I do want to do another one of these at a later stage. Um, that would be fab. Yeah, yeah. I, know, <laughs> I must uh, say thank you. Thank you for giving me the the airtime and the, the platform. Um, it's been a, a privilege and it's been great to talk to you. And uh, it's been very exciting to to learn how to use Discord. This is my first time on Discord. Okay, well well done. You you made it far. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, yes. So, Emma, just before we close off, what advice would you have? And I know you've, you've given a lot of advice so far. Mm -hmm. So if you have anything extra, just kind of small advice to uh, students, musicians or women out there. Hmm. Don't worry if you don't know what you have to say yet. There is plenty of time, more time than we think. Don't allow other people's excess, uh, successes to feel like a threat to you. There are plen there's plenty of room. As I said, there are stars enough in the sky for all of us. Choose your inner circle wisely. Sometimes the the biggest career um, career game changer that you will make, whether you choose to to be involved with someone in a formal way or not, sometimes the biggest career move you can make is choosing who your your partner is going to be and choosing that wisely because su support is such an important thing. Just because you're a female powerhouse doesn't mean you can do it all. And, and do it all alone. You need support as well, and that's okay. It doesn't make you any less of 
a, a female powerhouse. If you choose to to go it alone and partnership is not something you're interested in, again, choose your inner circle wisely. That circle of advisors are the game changer that will make the difference between you you knowing how to handle a situation and you feeling quite lost. And if you feel like there's a piece that doesn't quite fit, change it. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to shift. Be brave. Foot for foot, as my vocal supervisor says. Be comfortable going back to basics when you go, when you leave the university scene or the training scene and you become a freelancer or you become a, a professional. Page by page, roll by roll, and always vocal health. Okay. Thank you very much, Emma. You mentioned you. Uh, some interesting points uh, when it comes to uh, your your blog. Uh, is that on yeah. your is that on your website? It is, yes. So I've got some old. Um, I have my old website, which has all of my my um, old blogs, which I need to transfer to my new website. Um, but I've currently got one new blog on my on my new website, so I've just got to transfer things. It's okay. been a journey because my, my laptop decided now was a brilliant time to break. Ah, yes. I remember that actually happened to me very early in lockdown. <laughs> and we had to get mm. new. Yeah, it, it broke because of... Um, I think it was it was an older laptop. I always went for like very budget laptops. And I discovered that shifting online is quite taxing on a laptop. Uh, yeah, so... Yes, <laughs> but thank goodness for cloud. So all of my stuff is backed up. All right, but I will. Um, so once we put the pod podcast together, uh, after editing as well as on the server here, I will add uh, your website. I will link it so that people can see it and check out. Um, now, when you do get get the blog posts up, you you can have it there, uh, but uh, your various other assets. On your website they can also check that out and I'll post your social media thank you so much for joining us Emma it, it, it has actually been a, a pleasure this this is a topic I wanted to cover for a long time and you have uh, thoroughly filled the space that I needed thank you very much thank you thank you so much for having me and, and thank you for for giving me voice thank you okay all right, and thank you very much to everyone joining us. This is our International Artistic Development Podcast. And goodbye. <laughs>